Hello, everybody, and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And tonight we are joined by a very special guest, uh, one of the premier comic book writers in the world, uh, none other than Mr. Garth Ennis. Hello, Garth. Uh, hello, Mike. Phil, good to be here. Hello. Glad to have you. Um, you guys you guys have all heard of Garth, I can promise you. He has written and created some of the greatest comics of the last several decades, uh, some of his biggest, most well-known, uh, The Boys, uh, Preacher, um, you know, Judge Dredd, Hitman, you name it. He has written it at some point or another. But tonight we're going to start talking about one of his newest projects that we are really excited about, uh, and it is a comic book of Hawk the Slayer. Um, so, so just to kind of get get things started, Garth, just tell you know our viewers a little bit about the comic. You know, what do they need to know about it? Kind of the the basics, if you will. Okay, so Hulk the Slayer was a British sword and sorcery film released in 1980. Um, it starred John Terry as the hero Hawk and Jack Palance in fine form as uh, uh, Hawk's uh, evil brother Voltan. Um, it's about an hour and a half long. Uh, it has production values that you would associate with the budget and era. Um, <laughs> I saw it at just the right age. Um, it, I suppose, put some sort of hook in me age 11 that I could never quite get rid of. I saw it a couple more times over the years. Um, kept thinking about it. Whenever people, a few years later, uh, whenever people in the industry, publishers and such would ask me if there's some franchise I've always wanted to work on, if there'd be something I'd always wanted to bring back, I would uh, stun and stymie them by saying, yep, Hawk the Slayer, see if you can get <laughs> to that. And so eventually, uh, Rebellion did manage to pick it up and one thing led to another. And here we are. Oh, that, that's brilliant. I mean, it's... Uh... Did you find that many people in the, the U.S. knew about the uh, Hook the Slayer? Because when I was talking to Mike about it, he, he didn't really seem to. It's, it's it didn't seem to have crossed the pond mm. that much. It seems to be. I remember watching it like you when I was a kid. It was yeah. one of those ones my friends would have on VHS or something. Or it was on TV, and we all gathered around waiting for Crow to do his thing with the arrows, right? You'd see the sword and everything. But yeah, did you? Did was like the American contingent? Did they know about the property, or did you have to uh, talk to it all? Probably. Probably one in ten people that I've mentioned it to over the years. Um, it, over here, it's it's perhaps as well known for for those funny little mentions it gets in space as it is for the actual film, yeah. the actual property itself. I think um, I think we in the U.S. we we grew up watching Beastmaster. Uh, right. We we didn't get Hawk the Slayer as much on the reruns over here, but Beastmaster was on like every afternoon. I think you guys got more of Hawk the Slayer. We got more of of Beastmaster. You know? <laughs> right. And there's Krull. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know the, the funny thing is that I, I thought that things like Hawk were kind of at the, the the almost the bottom of the barrel but when you look at this particular genre or subgenre of 70s 80s low budget fantasy um there's stuff that's actually far far lower on the totem pole there's yeah. some stuff where it looks like they they got a quarry um some some bodybuilder uh, a couple of rubber swords and maybe a couple of strippers on their weekend <laughs> and and went at it um because these are all completely forgettable it's the crawls and hawks and beastmasters that somehow stick in your your memory hawk is the one that worked for me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So, um, you know, the, we, we, were, we, we were talking briefly before we started recording about how this is kind of an after the ending, right, which is sort of our format of, you know, sort of creating sequels for existing properties. Mm-hmm. What what was your sort of process when when you you know, you obviously weren't involved in the movie. Um, you just watched it on TV when you sat down to write it. Was it just a hey, this is what I want to do. See happen next. Or was there any other you know, did you have to consult with people? Was there any other, uh, you know, existing framework that went into the the plotting of it? How did that work? Um, not really. It was just me. Uh, I ran my ideas past Rebellion and they said yes. Um, when I sat down to think about what I wanted to do, it was, it was a, a mixture of things. On the one hand, you had all those things I'd been thinking about for really the guts of 40 years. Uh, when, when you finish watching the film as a kid and, and you start to wonder... And, and then other ideas about what I wanted to see in a Hawk the Slayer sequel. And I thought about it and I decided what I didn't want to do was expand it into something unrecognizable. I, I wanted a Hawk the Slayer sequel that would give, give me and therefore fans of Hawk the Slayer, I hope, what they wanted. Um, there's a, there's a, a bad tendency, I sometimes think, to turn these things into massive franchises to expand the worlds and the casts until yeah. they're almost unrecognizable. Um, the You hear a line a lot, let's do something new. I want to see something new. And that's fine. Uh, it's, it's a good idea. It can lead you to some good places, but it, it can also lead you to, for instance, The Phantom Menace. That was something, <laughs> that was something new. It was full of new things. Um, on the other hand, look at The Force Awakens, which I think quite nicely um, manages to uh, show you a lot of the old stuff so that you get that rush of nostalgia with some new characters and situations. I, I thought that was a, a good blend. Mm-hmm. And so when it came to Hawk the Slayer, I thought, let's let's keep, let's take the surviving cast, keep them broadly the same. Uh, let's make a couple of alterations to the characters to allow for time and, uh, of course, uh, life after death in the case of Voltan. Uh, <laughs> let's have a couple of new characters, but let's largely keep the same situations and settings and themes that the, the movie was so enjoyable for. So let's keep it largely set in these English Oakwoods that uh, for some reason have a large population of tropical snake. <laughs> and let's, let's have these odd piles of skulls showing up at, at appropriate moments. Let's revisit the forest of Weir, which is a creepy notion uh, and handled quite well in the film. Uh, let's have uh, uh, another look at the, um, the holy fortress, when, which when you look at it, isn't really all that holy. It has that nasty yeah. gothic look that the medieval church has when when you get into that that side of of archaic christianity where it's almost corpse worship mm-hmm. um that side of things so th- i wanted to expand but i didn't want to make the thing unrecognizable that that might be the best description of my starting point that's great because it's i think you got it spot on where if you you're going to do a sequel to something which has like a cult fandom or a big a big fan base, you have to get that blend, don't you? You have to start off with the what people know and then introduce new elements. But uh, uh, we've, we were sent over the first two issues of the comic as well, and it's a great read. Looks great as well. Really well, enjoying it. Some creepy yeah. scenes as well and things. But uh, which part of the story 
uh, or which parts are you most proud of and excited for people to see in the comic book? Um, I I very much like the uh, reappearance, actual appearance of Crow at the end of part one, which yeah. I think fits nicely with the way the characters yeah, played. Yeah, Mike mentioned that just before we started. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just before you came on, I was saying how cool that was. <laughs> yeah. um, because when when you when you think about Hawk the Slayer, uh, you you associate certain visuals, but also certain sounds with the film. And one of the sounds is the noise of uh, arrows being run through a bow very, very fast, and the sound of an automatic crossbow clicking away as it as it spits out its quarrels. Um, that happens a lot in the movie. It's it's one of the one of the film's kind of um, signature soundtrack moments. Uh, and that was something I thought, if I put that in, that will immediately let people know this is Hawk the Slayer. Yeah. Um, beyond that, in the CMV, and the great big cartoon Hawk that appears at the start of the story and screams, the mm -hmm. same introduction, this is a story of good versus evil. Um, and, and broadly speaking, keep keeping the characters um, as, uh, as constant as I can. You know, Hawk is stoic thoughtful doesn't give much away broods a bit um his chum um played by bernard breslaw gort the giant uh is a bit more expansive and also not quite comic relief but not far off it um and so on and of course voltan is evil beyond description um and uh chews up the scenery every chance he gets very very true to the character for sure in the film <laughs> Um, you, you obviously have written in so many genres in your career, but fantasy is one that, you know, you've written in it before, but it's not something you go to all that often. Right. I was just curious if like, you know, is it a different challenge when you're writing in sort of the fantasy realm as opposed to some of the things like maybe the war comics or the superhero comics where you can probably just sort of slip into it a lot easier, or is it kind of just the same process as everything else? Um, when it comes to, when it came to Hawk, I decided I would approach it for, first and foremost as a Hawk the Slayer story rather than thinking too hard about the sword and sorcery genre. Um, there's a That goes back to what I was saying about not expanding the world, not changing it into something unrecognizable. Um, you're right, though. I really haven't written much sword and sorcery. It, it's something I liked as a kid. I'm still a huge fan of The Hobbit. Um, I, I like the slain strip in 2000 AD, certainly the oh, yeah. Yeah. white stuff um there's a few other bits and pieces here and there but i think much like science fiction i i have very limited interest in the sword and sorcery genre because i feel it's an easy one for people to get lazy with mm. uh and to trot out familiar scenery you might say yeah. uh a new sword and sorcery genre arises and here's a bloke with a magic sword or a magic something and here's his dwarvish or elfin sidekick. Um, you see these things and they really just repeat what's what's come before. Mm -hmm. And that might be one of the reasons I'm not terribly interested in it because I, I it, it's the same as my objection to superheroes. That that feeling I get of the same thing over and over again. And that turns me off reading it. And that's why I've not written much of it. Makes sense. Okay. Well, there was a, a few years back, there was a Kickstarter to try and get a, a sequel to Hook the Slayer made a movie. 
Unfortunately, mm-hmm. that, that didn't it didn't pan out. I think it made half its target. But if if they were going to make a, a sequel to the based on your comic book or just make it hook hook the Slayer in general, any when you're writing the book, any ideas on who who would be a good pick to play Hawk or to today's oh. actors? Uh, or did you try and keep it out your head and just stick with uh, John Terry? I really did have John Terry in my head. Actually, I, I liked his um, I liked his performance. Uh, you know, there's a, there's an element of the spaghetti western Clint Eastwood figure. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, the guy who doesn't give much away and who tends to let others reveal themselves so that he can then act. Um, it if there was a sequel, I I don't know. It would be nice to see him in there somewhere. You know, in some minor role the way they take you know members of the original cast and use yeah, the yeah. sequels nowadays um although who knows but perhaps he's he's horribly embarrassed by the original and has long since disowned it um i i don't know i mean you i think you're talking about a sort of guy in his late 30s early 40s because hawks lived a bit he's been away mm-hmm. wars and come back um for some reason, someone someone like Jake Gyllenhaal maybe comes to mind. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, it would be it would be fun to have another guy with an American accent in a fairly obvious English Middle Ages setting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the sheer incongruity uh, incongruity of it. Um, Voltan, the way I've written them in the story, almost anyone could play him because you you never see him as he as he was, except in flashbacks. Yeah, so yeah. it's possible that with makeup and CGI and some good voice work, you could get something approximating the original. And after that, gosh, it's hard to say. Um, I believe the actress who played um, the sorceress, uh, the woman known known only as woman, <laughs> I think she's still around, and that character's kind of ageless. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Beyond that, I don't know really. That that's the kind of question I tend to blank on, just because I'm not necessarily aware of many many actors and actresses in the way I used to be, just because I watch far less film and TV. I'm sorry to say. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, sorry, Phil. Do you want to go ahead? Uh, no, go on. I just had the last one. I was going to say, so the for the Hawk the Slayer comic, I've noticed it's it's five issue miniseries. Um, is there is, is it sort of dependent on how well the sales go? If there's going to be more, are there plans to do more, or is it just kind of like, hey, I did my story and I'm done? Um, you know, is there anything in the future down the line? Uh, at the moment, I I don't really know. I think I've gone as far as I can with it. I got it out of my system in one go. Right. Uh, that may change, but it was such a pleasure to write, and it was such a pleasure to finally get all those scenes out there, all those ideas that have been popping about in my head for so long, that um, I think I, I, I had a nice sense of completion with it. What Rebellion might do, uh, if the book does well enough to do more, I'm not sure. Uh, I very much hope they keep Henry Flint on the book, because he is, of mm. course, absolutely fantastic. And yeah. so is Staples with those covers. Right, right, for sure. Oh, so it's been a definite passion program, passion project by the sound of it. So it's uh, it's going to be good to see see how it finishes. So the first issue is still out. Is it the thirteenth of April? That's I believe. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's running as a giveaway with the Judge Dread magazine at the moment. But the first issue of the actual release uh, will indeed be in April. 
Yeah. Happen. But if there's a now you've done this one, got out your system. Are there any other movies you'd like to do sequels to, like Crawl or something else? Or um, well, I think that's probably me done with Sword and Sorcery, just for the, the reasons mentioned. I mean, yeah. there are other characters that come to mind, other movies that come to mind, but um, you do you do think of them. And then find yourself asking, but what is there there really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. For instance, I'm a big Dirty Harry fan, mm. uh, but I don't have five issues worth of Dirty Harry ideas <laughs> the way I did with Hawk because I think probably because that original movie was so good yeah. and there's not a lot you can add to it. It's it's the sort of steadily diminishing returns of the Dirty Harry sequels. That, that give you those franchise ideas, and that's not not necessarily a good reason to go ahead. Um, beyond that, I, th I think most of the established characters that I want to write are probably in comics. They're probably um, things from Battle and possibly 2000 AD, things that people haven't really gone near for a long time uh, and that I, I would like to revive rather than something that's well-known and I just want to take my turn at. Makes sense. Um, Phil, you had some 2000 AD related questions, actually. That seems like a nice segue. Do you want to you jump ahead to those and I'll come back? Yeah, to yeah. Uh, so where have they gone? Have they gone? Yes. Yeah, so it's 2000 AD. It's celebrating its 45th mm. anniversary, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, and, but how did you feel back in the day when you landed that uh, gig to write Judge Dredd? What was it to, to get that? You know, because it was that's a big character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was tremendous. Of course, I was actually talking about this on a, an interview. Uh, the other day, um, a Zoom panel uh, for uh, for the 45th anniversary, um, along with some people who, who worked on Crisis, which, of course, was my part oh, of yeah, yeah. The, the kind of 2000 AD world at the time. Um, and it was tremendous. I mean, w within a year of starting to write comics, I was I had Judge Dredd and Hellblazer with <laughs> For, for me, for a 20-year-old, absolutely amazing. Yeah. It was, of course, too much too soon, and I didn't do a very good job in either, but there's no doubt that at the time, it was tremendous, and I was I was hugely grateful to John Wagner for, for giving me the opportunity. Um, I, I Now, I, I try to make it a point not to argue with our guests ever, but I do have to contradict you on one thing that you said, um, which is that you said you didn't do a very good job on them. So I, I have to just quickly tell you, so I've long considered myself a Hellblazer fan, a John Constantine fan, and I always try to pick up his new series, and I always read them for a couple issues, and I don't really like them. And, and I had an epiphany maybe a year or two ago when I realized I'm not really a John Constantine fan. I'm a Garth Ennis John Constantine fan. Your run on Hellblazer is one of my favorite comic runs ever, and that's I I've I can't ever read Constantine anymore because nothing ever lives up to your to your run on that book. So just just had to say I appreciate <laughs> that you know I appreciate your perspective is different from mine, but sure, that's, sure. that's one of the greats in my opinion. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you saying it. I mean, to me, the character created by Alan Moore and um, then developed by Jamie Delano was a hard one to go wrong with, and I I did eventually get it right. I feel that the second half of the run from the point when, coincidentally, Steve Dillon comes on as regular artist. He'd done a few fill-ins, but he came on as regular artist uh, kind of at the moment where something went click for me. Mm -hmm. um, and from from there to the rest, to, to the end of the run, is not bad stuff. And, of course, that, that set me off down the road to Preacher and the rest, again, is history. Right. Um, 
I think when I look back at my work work on Hellblazer, whether it's it's the sort of good or not so good half, my critique of it would be that it's a bit too sentimental for that character, maybe mm. a bit too heroic for that character. Um, he's he's too not nice but decent a guy. And ultimately, you are talking about someone who gathers people up and then uses them, who plays them like cards. And um, sometimes that doesn't work out too well for them. So maybe maybe something a little more cynical. Uh, right. it, it, that's what I have in mind when I think about what I should have been aiming for. Of course, what they're doing with the character at the moment is kind of, kind of like what Marvel are doing with the Punisher, mm -hmm. you know, other real world character is they're just trying everything they can until something sticks because yeah. they're completely certain what they've got. Yeah, yeah. It's funny that you say that. I mean, that's that probably is why I like it so much. If, you know, if people who listen to the show will know I'm I'm the sentimental sappy one of the two of us. I like the happy endings. You know, I like the I like the romance and the sunshine and stuff. So it, does, it makes perfect sense then that, you know, if you think that your run on Hellblazer was a little too you know, not as cynical, cynical as it could have be, as it could yeah. have been, is probably why I loved it so much. <laughs> very, very possibly. It, it is more like uh, traditional, conventional comic book writing that, than perhaps that title needs. Right, right. Well, I still I still love yeah, it. Yeah, still, so. still a great one. I really liked it. Yeah. I'm a, I did like your work on Judge Dredd as well, but yeah. yeah but, you're, you're always you know, your own worst critic, aren't you? That's usually the way it is. I think you have to be your own harshest critic, but yeah. ultimately, if you like it, that's that's all that matters. This is something I find again and again. Um, we all have those films and comic books and TV shows and novels that we love and we don't really care. Maybe they're universally denigrated. Maybe the actual original creators have disowned them. But we don't care because we love it. Mm -hmm. uh, this sort of neatly takes us back to Hulk with Slayer. <laughs> yeah. 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 It really does. Hey, you, you mentioned there as well, though, but uh, when Steve Dillon came on board as a regular, it's, it just mm -hmm. seems to click. Do you find that often when writing comics where the, uh, you get the right artist with it, it just elevates it all? It just like becomes like a feedback loop? Um, like, yeah, more and more, to be honest with you. Um, these days, it's, it's very rare that I would begin working with a new artist, and I think this just isn't working. That, that happens very rarely. Um, for a long time recently, I didn't work with any new artists at all. I had a, I had a sort of rotating team almost, uh, people like Russ Braun and John McRae and Peter Schneeberg and PJ Holden. Uh, and it's only recently I've, I've uh, worked with a couple of new people, uh, people like Steve Epting, mm -hmm. uh, where we clicked straight away on Sarah and did, did one of the best things I've ever done. Um, uh, Chris Burnham has drawn a strip for the battle action special and uh that was another instant click um he was a revelation actually his his storytelling character movement all of it is absolutely wonderful it, i think it's going to be a treat for people to see that but that's a very pleasant thing to happen when you start working with someone for the first time and you haven't seen the pages yet and you're crossing your fingers and think i hope they get it <laughs> um and then in it comes and it's like wow they got it they nailed it I um I, I just have to I'll, I'll quickly just do a little tiny name drop. I'm happy to say I've been friends with Russ Braun for about 25 years actually. Mm -hmm. So um he was uh 
have known him for a long, long time. So when I see him at the cons and you guys are always chatting and stuff, it's always fun. So he actually, he did a cover for my own comic that I write. Um, He did a cover for me actually just a a few months ago. So um, it's, I always enjoy seeing the two of you guys working together. Your guys' stuff is always brilliant. So. Oh, good, good. Well, uh, there's a new series of, uh, of Jimmy's bastards. Oh yes. Russ is about a third of the way through drawing and that should be appearing uh, latter half of the year. Excellent. Love. I love the first. The first Jimmy's Bastards was fantastic. So that was great. Great stuff. I think this one is twice as good. Actually. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that leads me to sort of an interesting question with your with your kind of you know body of work at large. You know, if I if I was to think back, uh, you know, over the last 20, 30 years and think like, what are two of the comic books that I think would never get translated into a mainstream Hollywood <laughs> TV show? Mm-hmm. I think Preacher and the Boys would probably be pretty near the top of that list. And yeah. yet both of them mm-hmm. uh, did exactly that. So so were you as surprised as, as I think some of us were that like Hollywood came calling and picked these particular projects to turn into, you know, mainstream shows? Um, well, the boys happened because of Preacher. Okay. Uh, because because that um, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg had made enough of a success of Preacher that uh, people were willing to consider their next offer. And the boys worked, as I say, off the back of Preacher, but also I think the boys worked because it is such an incredibly simple concept. You can do it in one line. Um, superheroes are bastards. They need a slap, and these are the boys who are going to do it, and that's it. Right. Um, and with the what uh, the other thing that helps, of course, is that with the success of superhero uh, films and TV shows over the past 10, 15 years, and with the mainstream audience, the mainstream public being educated to the notion of shared universes where it's not just one, it's not just Spider-Man. If you're walking down the street, you might see him swing past, and then you might see the Hulk come crashing through the side of a building, and then Iron Man might appear to fight him, and there are villains, and they're all in the same world. And I think once that mainstream audience was educated to that idea of worlds of superheroes, uh, that meant the time was ripe for the boys. Mm. Um, a, A team who live and work in an entire world of superheroes. Um, so really, you know, th- th- that was optimum timing. That couldn't have worked out better. Well, we've got season three of The Boys is coming out on the 3rd of June, but there's also <laughs> the animated show, isn't there? The Boys Presents Di- Diabolical. That's right. I think that's the 4th of March. And uh, I was good, glad to see there's one of these, because it's an anthology show. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was glad to see one of the uh, one of the episodes, it looks, it's, Based, based on the artwork from the comic books by Derek Robertson. So made up to see that. But uh, so you've written an episode, is it called I'm Your Pusher? That's right. Yeah. Can you, can you tell us a bit about that? Are you, are you like, is it? Is that... Sure, sure. Um, I can tell you that it's about a, uh, a, a chap who is known as the drug dealer to the superhuman community. Uh, it's just that he's not supposed to be known as that. And how Butcher find out? Uh, is uh, is a matter of some concern for the poor guy uh, because Butcher, of course, intends to put the screws to him and keep turning them until he screams. Um, the notion of getting your hands on the supply of drugs to various superhero characters is is one that Butcher, of course, embraces wholly because it means he can put he can spike the drugs, he can get awful <laughs> things in there and he can cause those superheroes to do awful things so that fits his agenda down to the ground 
um, so that's what that's what my stories about, um, and it worked out great. Um, it uh, it was lovely to see Simon Pegg uh, actually pop up and voice Huey, what with his yeah. understanding and strange connection to the character, and uh, it was wonderful to to see um, the characters from the comic with uh, you know Butcher and Terror appearing and so on. Uh, so that was a real treat. Yeah, well, well, I was going to ask as well, uh, on a scale of Alan Moore to Tan, how do you feel about watching adaptations of your work? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I would almost divide it up, um, you know, not, not just show by show, but episode by episode. I, I don't, yeah. to be honest, I don't really think, tend to think in those terms. Um, I tend to see the two as separate. Okay. Um, yeah. and, and the purpose of the show uh ultimately to spread the word about the book that's the nice thing you know in in both cases preacher and the boys they they have both done very very well off the backs of their uh of their adaptations and that's good for me because it means that my stories aren't going away that's brilliant yeah are are you consulted about like i, I mean obviously they have to change a lot of stuff for for tv mm -hmm. are they are you consulted about like changes new characters things like that or do you just sort of sign off on it and and let them you know do what they want with it um, you know, or do you have any kind of, you know, in, input on that? Pretty much the latter. You know, as I say, I am content for the two to be separate. Um, to me, as I say, there's the uh, the benefit to the seals of the books, but also uh, it frees me up to work on things that I really enjoy. Um, you know, The Boys is 15 years in my rear view now, Preacher 25. Mm -hmm. uh, while, while I'm terribly fond of both of them, um, I, my interests now lie in other directions. Sure, sure. Being able to do Hawk the Slayer, uh, being able to do a lot of creator-owned war stories like um, The Lion and the Eagle, which is currently running, or Out of the Blue, or The String Bags, which appeared recently. Um, also being able to do things for Rebellion, like uh, like the Battle Action Special, which is going to be out this summer, the one I mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, with the the success of the shows frees me up to do this and that is what i see as their other main benefit uh along with the uh continued success of the books makes sense and you also wrote recently the um just came out was the peacemaker one shot I, for uh for dc's black label um is that how did that kind of come about were you were you constrained by the tv show at all was it something you pursued or did they come to you uh, they came to me after I mentioned to Marie Javens, um, who's an old friend, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, I had always thought the Peacemaker had a different kind of potential to uh, to the way it's used uh, by DC. Um, I think what you have is a very cool name, and in a way, a kind of a kind of a Punisher esque character. I think what I said to Marie was, I've never understood why they don't just dress him in black. Give him a gun, get rid of the bucket on his head, and they've got DC's Punisher franchise. Right, and she remembered that, and um, and uh, had uh, editor uh, Katie Kubert get in touch with me about it. And um, really, what I really what I wanted to do was, as I say, uh, create a kind of a Punisher for DC, but one who was still in the military and one who fulfilled a kind of a punisher function for the u.s military with someone who would deal with the wrongdoing that goes on within 
the army, the Marines, the Air Force, the Navy, the things that no one really wants to admit to, but have to be swept away, blown away, in fact. Um, thing, little things that have to be taken care of. Um, and I thought, well, given that this guy is driven to do this sort of stuff anyway, that would be an excellent direction for them to, to kind of employ him in. And uh, that's that was my take on the peacemaker. So, so when you write a story like that, or like Hawk Slayer, for example, where you are working with you know pre-existing characters who you did not create, um, you know, have there been or, or do you come across constraints where you kind of throw stuff out there and they come back to you, like Rebellion comes back to you with Hawk, or DC comes back to you and says, "No, we don't want to go that direction. Change it." Or do you, they pretty much at this point, you're you're Garth Ennis, they just kind of give you free reign and run with what you go with. Um, generally, yeah, they know what they're going to get. So they go with it. Right. Uh, on the other hand, occasionally there will be something, but for the most part, yes, they're happy for me to do what I'm going to do. They, they wouldn't really have hired me otherwise. Um, I compare and contrast. If I go back to, uh, writing Hitman, in the 90s, which was a character created by myself and John McRae in a setting with a cast that we'd come up with ourselves, but that was set in the DC universe, an odd corner of it, and where you occasionally had DC characters showing up. And just for fun, I would maybe put those DC characters through the ringer a bit. People might be Green Lantern appearance or the Batman appearance. Um, and there were times there where people would say to me, you're going a bit far here. This is happening to injury and so on. And, and that was all right. You know, they, they're not my characters and I understand I am and did really, but I am getting away with murder when I do that stuff. What, what was interesting was that about five or 10 years after that, when I was writing the first, well, about five years, when I was writing the first series of The Punisher for Marvel, the one I did before the Max book, where and with that, I took him out of the Marvel Universe entirely. But with the, the one before that, the goofier one, I did the same thing with Marvel characters showing up and being, well, getting a hard time of it. <laughs> and I can remember that things had changed a bit because some Marvel editors did object to that. Mm. But editor-in-chief Joe Casada was happy to say, look, we knew what we were going to get, and this isn't going to you know, harm the seals. It's not going to stop anyone from reading those characters. It's funny. It's a different take on it. Let's just do it. And so he would sign off on this stuff and it would ultimately happen. And so there was that subtle change mm -hmm. from Hitman. And then if we fast forward again to the present day, well, that sort of stuff just isn't really an issue at all. Right. Um, Phil, I'm going to go one more and then I'll let you have a question. I yeah, yeah, no, no. Things, but uh, oh, good. Since you brought up Hitman, Garth, one of my favorite comic series of all time. Um, absolutely a humongous fan. I just reread the whole series again like a year or two ago when they put all the trades out. I, I reread the entire thing. Um, obviously, the ending of the series, without going to any real spoilers, people haven't read it yet, um, doesn't really leave for much in the way of you know future sequels or anything. But is there anything on the horizon as far as comics or movies or TV shows or anything that you know of with Hitman? Is there Are we going to see ever more of, of Tommy in the future, do you think? Or is that kind of you've, you've said your piece and... Um, it, outside comics, there has been steady interest, but it's gone nowhere. Okay. Um, in comics, 
there's also been a degree of interest. Um, I mean, I've heard occasionally from people from, from DC who tell me there's someone who would like to bring Hitman back, uh, you know, raise him from the dead, whatever. And they asked me about this purely because of the, the, the weird nature of the contract that uh, Tommy was created under. Um, mm -hmm. Because we were all, at the time, um, we were all creating these new characters for DC. Right, right. Effectively handing them the IP. Uh, there was a sort of nod towards creators' rights where John McRae, the artist, and I would share 5% or something like that. And I think in the contract it says that whether to be a new hitman, they do at least have to give John and I first refusal at doing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And anyway, when I'm asked about this, my line is always, well, what does it get you? Right. Bringing Tommy back, what does it really get you? Mm -hmm. And although, you know, at that point, that's my input. Uh, and I can't really say yes or no beyond that. I have no power of veto. It, that question does seem to have stopped them from going any further for the for the time being. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, as you know, I as you, or as you probably know, I've revisited it it from time to time, or at least I've mm -hmm. revisited that world. I had the six pack series, yep. the dog yep. series. Yep. Um, I would like to to drop into Noonan's bar occasionally and just do 10, 20 pages of something. Sure. Uh, I've always wanted to do the secret origin of Baytor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, awesome. I've got that rolling around in my head. Uh, you know, yes. there'll always be something like that. It is it is a weird, quirky little corner of Gotham City yeah. that yeah. I, I do enjoy. Um, I do enjoy visiting. Beyond that, your guess is as good as mine. If there's a new Hitman comic next year or a Hitman TV show in two years, well, you'll know I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there's a Hitman comic and you're not involved, I'm, I'm not interested. But uh, hopefully, you know, I, you'll like you said, you can drop in from time to time at least. So that'd um, be but, good though, like uh, an anthology of Noonan's Bar. I'd be like, uh, I've been rereading Spider Robertson's Callahan's Trust, Cross Time Taverns, which all set in the same <laughs> bar, but it's all different stories coming in. I'm yeah. But, uh, are there any of your other stories, comic books, in talks about being adapted for TV or, or film after the uh, success of Preacher? Um, there's a couple of things I can't really talk about. Um, mm -hmm. But as I said of Hitman, you know, there's been constant in interest. It's just that nothing's gone the distance. Uh, yeah. The rights have the, the options have sold on a couple of things and then reverted. Um, a walk through hell, for instance. Mm -hmm. okay. um, there was the option on that was so likewise pride and joy um there's been interest in things like caliban red team jimmy's bastards um beyond that you know i've i've had phone calls with people about gosh about a good half of my output but you become aware after a while that it's there's something of a scattershot approach going on here and that most of them are unlikely to happen. Um, it just so happens that the two big ones that did preacher and especially the boy uh, took off in fine style. Yeah. Well, that's, well there's, what's the, uh, cause we've got the animated spinoff uh, diabolical, but there's also that one, the, the live action spinoff in a super college for superheroes house. Yes, that that, is that still going that, ahead. 
Um, that precedes a pace. Um, I tend not to worry about the nitty gritty of these um, and and really just enjoy them when they come out mm -hmm. uh, for, for some of the reasons I've already said. But yes, I believe that's uh, continuing its development at the moment. That's good to know. So switching gears just a little bit, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a little bit about um, the 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 fans and the convention experience. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I know you're a fixture at a lot of the conventions, or at least especially you know pre-COVID times. Um, although I think I saw you at Baltimore this year, yeah. um, last yeah. year. But um, I like to tell my little story. A couple of years ago at Baltimore, um, this is a little a picture. There's there's you and me, Garth, at the bar. Um, we were uh, and and we, we interacted for about twelve seconds when when this happened. We were uh, my buddies and I in the picture there. We're sitting at the bar, and you were next to us, and and your friend who you were with, whose name I don't remember. Probably probably Joe Rybant, big fella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's him. Yep, yep. Yeah. So. You had gone up, I think, to use the restroom or something, and and so Joe heard us talking about comics, and he was like, you know, oh, you guys are you guys are here for the convention? And we were like, yeah. He's like, do you know that was Garth Ennis sitting right next to you? And we were like, yeah, we, we did know that was Garth actually, but you know, we don't want to bother you. You're at the bar. It's like you know, it was like ten o'clock at night. So so when you came back, Joe was like, Garth, these guys are fans. Take a picture. And so we 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 snapped this real quick, and then and then you're oh. back having your drink. But um, yeah. I just wanted to tell that story because I, I enjoy it. But I, I my question for you is, you know, what what do you enjoy? I mean, do you enjoy interacting with the fans? What's the best part of interacting with the fans? Going to the conventions? You know, what's that? What's that like for you? I know your lines get pretty pretty hectic. So you know, how how is that uh, experience for you? I enjoy it. Um, and uh, I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy, you know, answering their questions about stuff, uh, about what's coming up and so on. Panels are good for that. But the signings are nice where you actually get to to meet people. Um, I, I will actually be at uh, the Kansas City Con at the end of April, if that's still on, I believe. And I'll probably, probably be at Baltimore this year just because that's such a nice one to do, you know, uh, such a nice town, not the con's not too big, not too small, just just right somehow. Yeah. Um, I remember speaking of Joe, actually, he had a nasty habit for a while uh, when we were at, at convention bars or whatever of uh, telling people sort of voce, but not really, while jerking a thumb at me going, he's kind of a big deal <laughs> you bastard uh, which I, think is, I think is that line from um oh the will ferrell thing where he's a reporter isn't that it um, which one is that is that what it is yeah he, i think he likes to tell people he's kind of a big deal well that was joe's line to wind me right, right, right. <laughs> that's funny that's yeah that sounds about similar to what uh, my experience with him. <laughs> Except that oh, we actually God. knew who you were at that point. So he only yeah. got to, you know, to show off that he was hanging out with you. But uh, yeah, <laughs> well, that's, that's cool. It's always, it's always good to, to, you know, meet people, the cons, the creators and stuff. As, yeah, as I, I do enjoy it. it. It is nice. I mean, I, as you probably know, I have no social media presence. I tend to avoid that end of things. I'd rather meet people. Mm hmm little harder with the way the world it is at the moment but um last couple of cons i've gone to have been great um chicago in december and then baltimore a couple of months before went yeah. great absolutely phil I don't wanna... uh, yes so uh what uh, are we up to? Yeah, but, uh, uh what kind of uh what what other comics not your own stuff what uh, other comics are you have you been reading recently that uh have been hitting the spot for you 
Um, well, recently, actually, what with the 45th anniversary and so on, I've been uh, rereading a lot of the classic 2000 stuff, um, going right back to the beginning and enjoying the collected editions of things like Harlem Heroes and Mac One and uh, Dan Dare Dread Invasion, and in particular, Flesh, which was really the moment yeah. I fell in love with comics as a kid. Uh Flesh, if you don't know this, Mike, was a strip about um, uh, cowboys from the 23rd century going back in time to hunt dinosaurs ah. because in the 23rd century, the world had run out of meat. Yeah. Now I'm familiar with. I, I, I'm a pretty good uh, 2000 AD fan. I've read a lot. I've read a lot of Judge Dredd stuff, but I've read yeah. a lot of her. There are other things here and there, too, but um, that's not one I can say I'm familiar with. So I have to well, this, it. this goes right back to the first issue. Wow. Um, and I think the reasoning was that uh, given that uh, the dinosaurs were going extinct anyway, uh, why not go back and hunt them for their meat? No one seems to have, have said, well, wait a minute, could that have been the reason they went extinct? Um, what you end up with, up with is a kind of a war between dinosaurs and cowboys because the big meat eaters, the predators, uh, slowly realize that these weird little pink apes are taking away their food source, the plant eaters. And so... Um, the tyrannosaurs and the uh, the velociraptors are terrible claws, as they're, they're called in the story, uh, and the spinosaurs and, and the furry tyrannosaurs, um, and all the uh, and all the other big meat-eating dinosaurs um, descend on what's called the Trans Time Base in the late Cretaceous, um, intending on it's it's essentially you know man versus dinosaur, and one shall walk away, and. Uh, Hijinks and shoe, I can tell you, because in those days, in those days, there was there was almost a contest each issue to see how many people could fall into the mouths of these things and get chewed up, heads flying all over the place. It was it was de rigueur for the era, and that I think was where I fell in love with comics, and that's that's what I've been revisiting recently. Um, apart from that, with the battle action special, I've been reading a lot of old battle stuff, and. I still do check in with with 2000 AD with uh, with Judge Dredd when John Wagner's working on it. Yeah. And beyond that, um, I see sagas back, so I'll be getting, I'll be reading yeah, that. Yeah. 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 again. Um, I know that uh, I know that Brian Vaughn is seething with jealousy and resentment now that Hawk the Slayer has knocked Saga off the the uh, sword and sorcery throne. <laughs> um, so I'm particularly proud of that. <laughs> Uh, just just a quick uh, follow up on that. I, I the, with the, this flesh story you mentioned that I wasn't that familiar with. It sounds to me like um, it just popped in my head when you were telling me about that. Did your uh, your your hitman couple of issues with the dinosaurs and it was that sort of a tribute slash unofficial sequel to that uh, story? Very much a tribute. That yeah. that kind of incredibly hyperbolic narration. Okay. Um, that is something that marked uh, that that marked flesh and its ilk. Mm -hmm. um, it was another strip. Shaco about a giant killer polar bear. There was another one in another comic, a similar comic to 2008 called Hookjaw about a killer shark. Yeah. Hookjaw, I love Hookjaw, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. And the, the narration helped to kind of personify the monsters. Yeah. Um, there, uh, there's there's an interesting sort of over-the-top aspect to this. It's it's stuff like uh, the little human screams excited her. She bit deep. <laughs> right. Like that's something I tried to, to to capture in Hitman. Yeah, um, that that sort of stuff. You know, when it goes in at that age, seven, 
it's not coming out. Yeah. <laughs> so many good things in those old 2000 ADs and Batman. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. Uh, how about um, so? There's some comics that you're reading. How about um, like like movies and TV shows? I know you said you're watching less of it now, but what about uh, some of you know for for fans who who know your work? I, I know you from what I've you know read and talked to you. I think you've you're big into like westerns and and and, and war movies and stuff. Are there any favorites that you like to go back to? Uh, movies, obviously Hawk the Slayer, but uh, any others that you know are favorites of yours? Yeah, there are always there are always favorites. You know, westerns like Unforgiven and the Outlaw Josie Wales and the Cowboys. Uh, war movies like Kelly's Heroes and A Bridge Too Far and The Battle of Britain. Mm -hmm. And there's things like Alien and Predator and Terminator and Blade Runner, you know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, currently, um, I'm currently really enjoying a Korean zombie uh, series on Netflix called All of Us Are Dead. Mm -hmm. I just finished that the other night. It's really ah, good. Yeah. Good, good. I've got three episodes to go. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I thought The White Lotus was brilliant. Mm -hmm. uh, I loved that. Uh, there's a British show called Ghosts, which I yeah. thought very funny indeed. I, we were watching the American version right now um, because that's that was our first. We and then I realized it was based on a British show, so now mm -hmm. we have to go back and watch the original. But uh, yeah. the, we're enjoying that uh, sort of as well. <laughs> yeah, that, that was great. Um, and movies, uh, you know, there's been, there's been some good stuff. Um, I saw a decent western recently called Old Henry. Mm -hmm. um, it uh, it looks really good. It, the plot doesn't quite work, but there's a sort of rather audacious twist most of the way through it that that I was impressed by. Probably that the movie I've most enjoyed in the last couple of years is a Mads Mikkelsen called Riders of Justice. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's, that's a really good film. I like that. Yeah, that, yeah. That's a tremendous film. You, you watch the the trailer and you think, okay, it's a revenge flick. It's an action flick, and it is. But it's something else entirely. It's in a way, it's like nothing you've ever seen before. Uh, I like Mads Mikkelsen anyway, but that one really blew me away. Yeah, probably probably my favorite movie of of lockdown, really. Very yeah, that cool. was in my top ten of uh, of last year. That film. That's right. That's yeah, right. Good. Yeah, terrific yeah. film. Very good. All right. Well, Garth, I know we're starting to run out of time and we don't want to keep you too long, but we do have, if you're game, we like to do a little lightning round where we've got kind of like 10, like either or questions and you kind of have to like, just, okay. you know, are, you, are you game for that? Uh, sure. I'm probably not going to be very good at it, but eh, it's not too, I try to keep it easy. It's just, you pick whichever one you like better, basically. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay. So here we go. Uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Uh, Beatles, Beatles or Stone? the Rolling Stones. Oh, sorry, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> Beatles. Good. Right answer. Um, Superman or Batman? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, having written both, they're both fun to write, put it that way. Um, uh, most wrong fun to write, Batman. Uh, nobility and uh, getting your Jesus Christ fan fiction out of your system, Superman. <laughs> okay. Uh, Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, or Freddy Krueger? Oh God! Uh, don't really care about any of them. Okay. Yeah, that, that's yeah. fair. Uh, Captain Kirk or Captain Picard? Mm, again, don't really care. All right. Oh, uh, Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter? Lord of the Rings. Uh, Dick Sargent or Dick York? Don't know what those are. <laughs> that's from uh, Bewitched. I thought oh, I threw, okay. I could throw in a curveball. <laughs> uh, single issues or trade paperbacks? Trade paperbacks. Uh, pineapple on pizza, yes or no? No. Okay. And the big one, is Die Hard a Christmas movie, yes or no? 
Uh, hell, again, I'm, I'm not a big enough fan to worry about it. Uh, I mean, I'll watch it if it's on. Um, you can plead the fifth. Yeah, uh, I'll plead the last Boy Scout. How is that? That's okay. Movie, good, yeah. All right. Movie I, like I enjoy a lot more. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Um, all right. So two, two last questions. First of all, is there anything else coming up that fans should know about? Um, obviously, Hawk the Slayer is coming out in April. You've mentioned a couple other things, the, the battle actions. Is there anything else you want fans to know about or anything you want to say about Hawk the Slayer, why people should read it if they're not fans of the movie or anything like that? Um, Hawk is running at the minute. I'm my only own worst self-publicist, so read it or don't. Um, but I think you will enjoy it. I think if you if you like sword and sorcery and you like a bit of quirk and you like, you know, one one eye winking slightly at the audience without making fun of the whole thing, then I think you might like Hawk the Slayer. Um, I also have a war book out at the minute. Uh, I think I mentioned it, The Lion and the Eagle with PJ Holden. That's a very brutal jungle warfare story. Uh, battle action in June. And beyond that, um, should be a Punisher book towards the end of the year, uh, art by Jason Burroughs, a Vietnam nice. story with um, Nick Fury. Excellent. Um, there'll be a new series, kind of not a follow-up, but a story set in the same world as Sarah with uh, art by Steve Epting again. That's called Partisan. Um, that will hopefully be the second of, of what will be a trilogy eventually, three separate but vaguely connected stories. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, uh, and more Jimmy's Bastards, which I mentioned, I'm just finishing up a new horror book that will probably be out next year. Cool. You're a busy guy, clearly. Always. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And the last question, uh, what would your final words be if you were a character in a horror movie and the monster had just got you? Oh boy! Um, probably, you know, I was I was talking to the, some friends about this recently. I was saying, "Who are you, an alien?" Uh -huh. Okay, yeah. You know, are you screaming your head off like Lambert? Um, do you go after it and then lose your nerve like Dallas? And I reckon I'm Brett. I think I just freeze up and stare at the fucker while it kills. <laughs> I think that's probably the best I can manage. Yeah. Brilliant. I'm, I'm definitely not Parker. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh, that's great. All right. Well, um, that is going to uh, start to wrap us up then. So, um, Garth, uh, let us just both say uh, thank you so much for being here. We're super excited to talk to you. Very excited for Hawk the Slayer. Love the first two issues that we've read. Um, and, and hopefully everybody will pick it up uh, and make it a big success. Uh, Phil, anything you want to add? Yeah, just uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been great talking to you. Really enjoyed it. It's been a good laugh. But uh, Hawk the Slayer, the first issue's out on the 13th of April. And it's uh, it's good. It's worth pick, picking up if you get the chance. Mm. All right. Well, thank you, guys. I really enjoyed this. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Take care. All right. That's going to wrap us up, guys. Thanks for watching. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next time. After the ending.